All right, good morning. Transitions, huh? Uh, well, this morning we are uh, continuing to work our way through our sermon series of Who is Jesus? Uh, discovering Him uh, through the Gospel according to John. So, as we get ready to jump in and wrestle with our scripture uh, for today, would you join me in a word of prayer? Loving God, we are uh, we're grateful uh, for this chance to be together. Um, God, we say this each and every week, uh, but I think the last two years... Um, just a reminder that to not take that for granted. So God, we're grateful for this chance to, to be together. Um, we're grateful for the gift that is Zoom, that while we may not be able to be together, we can still be together. And we're grateful for the gift of your spirit that um, unites us, that connects us, that draws us together, that is creating something uh, beyond ourselves that we call the body of Christ. So God, we're grateful for that. Uh, as we turn to the scriptures now, we uh, yield ourselves to your spirit. And ask that your spirit would lead us, guide us, shape us, and form us more and more into the image of Jesus. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The festival of Sukkot is a week-long Jewish celebration celebrated by Jewish folks around the world even to this day. Um, the, the origins of this festival of, of Sukkot come in something that we might call like a, a harvest festival. So the idea being that at the end of the harvest year, sometime between summer and fall, you would bring uh, your first fruits with this act of like, it's good to like give an offering to God and thank God for all that God has done and all that God has provided from the year past. As time progressed, this idea of this harvest festival began to be like reinterpreted and reimagined and had some new life and some new meaning and some new... Um, some new imagination brought into it. And it began to become this festival where the Jewish people would begin to reflect upon and remember their ancestors' journey from their enslavement in Egypt to their liberation into the land that God had promised them. And this week of uh, this festival of Sukkot was meant to remember this journey, this wandering in the desert, in this in-between place from enslavement to liberation. And so one of the ways that they would celebrate this is by building a sukkah, the singular of sukkot, uh, a tent like this in their backyard. Full disclosure, I had every intention, I even included it in an email to those in worship of building something like this, but I quickly ran out of time, resources, and uh, uh, knowledge and insight of how to do this. So uh, we settle for a Google picture here. Uh, so Jewish folks will, will build this sort of thing in their backyard, and it's meant to be a temporary sort of thing. It's not meant to be like a swanky sort of shelter by any means. And the point of the week is like you spend as much time as you can out there. Uh, and as you're out there, you're, you're trying to remember this, this, this wandering from enslavement to liberation, this time in the desert that your ancestors spent. So at bare minimum, most people will at least eat their meals out there as a way of stepping back into the story. Um, some who are a little more hardy than others may even try and like sleep out there and spend every waking minute out in the shelter. Again, trying to step back into the story of their people. According to the Jewish law, uh, Torah, uh, this is one of what's called three pilgrimage festivals. Meaning like uh, in Jesus' day, uh, all able-bodied Jewish folks would like make a journey to Jerusalem, the sacred holy pilgrimage to the holy city of Jerusalem to spend this with other fellow Jewish folks as they begin to step back into this 
story. So the city of Jerusalem would swell from something like 50,000 as its normal population to like 180,000 people coming and living in these tents to, to step back into this journey. Now, again, in Jesus's day, you can imagine all of these people coming together to, to step back into the story of God's deliverance. And as all of them gather together in the city, which is under Roman occupation, you can imagine like the, the, the national sort of hope and fervor begins to bubble up, right? This hope for uh, a, a new deliverer, a, a Messiah, if you will, a, a, a savior, a liberator who will come in and lead the people into liberation once again. Again, like the point of this week is to step in and to remember and recall from last week, remembering in the Jewish imagination, not just simply a call to mind, but a call to our very bodies to embody this journey of their ancestors and this move from enslavement to liberation. Now in John chapter seven, uh, we have Jesus uh, who finds himself at the temple in Jerusalem in the midst of this festival of Sukkot. So in verse 37, we read, on the last day of the festival, the great day. I think it's worth just pausing and noting that John begins by telling us what day of the week that this is taking place in. Meaning that when Jesus stands up at the temple and begins to address this crowd, it's the last day of this festival, the great day of this festival. Which means for a week now, there has been a week of celebration. Not celebrating like us temperate Mennonites with maybe a clap there and once and again, but uh, like we're talking like torches lit, uh, dancing and eating late into the night, like a week long of celebration. But we're also talking about like a week of remembering God's deliverance in the past and a week of, of trying to like foster the sort of hope that God will deliver once again into the future. We're talking about a week of embodying a journey from enslavement to liberation, a, a week of embodying 40 years of wandering in the desert. We're talking about a week of, of priests offering prayers for rain for the year ahead. We're talking about a week of priests offering prayers for the greatest hope that is the, re, uh, the resurrection of the dead. So when John tells us that on the last day of the festival, the great day, we're talking about a city that has swelled in something like triple its population, just bubbling up, swelling with anticipation and hope. Not quite unlike a pregnant mother who has a long to-do list of things to get ready for when it, before a new baby comes, to check all those off and to sit and wait for that new baby. Not that I know anything about this reality in my life, right? But we get to this point, and it's as if John is wanting us to understand that there's something palpable that's happening here. There's something tangible that's happening here and this hope, this anticipation that God will do something is being felt among everybody who's listening. And it's with this sort of background in mind, we read that on the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there in the temple, he cried out, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now, remember, uh, the context of all of this is this, like, this week-long celebration of embodying this journey of their ancestors through the desert. I don't know if you know this, but the desert is a really, really, really dry place, right? <laughs> And those that were listening to Jesus would have understood this um, because most of their climates were deserts, right? And so you have all of these Jewish folks who traveled into the city here who are listening to Jesus, who come from their homes and from their hometowns 
where they would have had some sort of spring, stream, or well. And if a town didn't have a spring, stream, or well, well, it wasn't a town because it quite literally dried up, right? <laughs> because water's a necessary part of life. And so every town had its hub where they would get their water. And all of these people listening are acutely aware of the daily reality of having to go and fetch water. But more than just like this, daily, this uh, acute awareness of this daily reality of having to go and fetch water, they also have been embodying this 40-year journey for a week now, meaning like they are acutely aware with like, this, this reality of their ancestors of wandering in the desert and like the reality of not knowing where your next glass of water could be. And so you can imagine their ancestors finding water and sucking down as much as they possibly can and filling every container to carry with them because for both the, the Jewish people listening to Jesus in the present moment and their ancestors, thirst was not something to joke about because thirst could equal death. Now, this is uh, something that most of us don't have to think about, right? <laughs> most of us don't have to think about water on a daily basis. Like, we turn on our, our, um, our faucet and the, there's water there. But the only time I don't think about, or that I think about water is when I go to fill up my water bottle and we forgot to fill up our Berkey the night before, right? And then I, then I begin to get frustrated, but there's still a tap there that I can fill it up with, right? Most of us don't have to think about water, but that's certainly not the case for many throughout the world. Uh, according to uh, Charity Water, which is an organization that's dedicated to providing clean and healthy water for everyone across the world, there's something like 771 million people to this day that don't have access to clean and healthy water. To put that into some perspective, that's twice the population of the United States. Put that into like some global perspective, that's one out of every 10 people across the world. Uh, they also note that more pe- uh, that. Uh, having, not having access to clean and healthy water is, more re- is responsible for more deaths across the globe than all forms of violence combined, including war. They also note that women in Africa alone spend something like 40 billion hours a year dedicated to fetching clean and healthy water for themselves and their families. There's something like 8,760 hours in a year, just to put that in a little bit of context. See, these people uh, recognize that like, water is a, necess- a necessary part of life and that to thirst is not a joke because to thirst it could equal death. And I think Jesus is talking to a group of people a little bit more similar to this than perhaps ourselves here in this space. And to a group of people that understand this maybe a little bit more than us, Jesus stands up in the temple and says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. And we can imagine that he gets everyone's attention like that because everybody is acutely aware of their own thirst because of the daily rhythms and habits of their life, but also because they've just spent an entire week embodying the experience of their ancestors wandering through the desert. Now, Jesus' offer to those is to come to drink and have rivers of living water bursting out from the depths of who they are. This phrase, living water, would have been part of like the common vocabulary, the common vernacular of the day. Again, because water was such an important thing, living water referred to water that was, that was moving. Water that's moving is good because it's, it's fresh, it's safe, it's clean, whereas like stagnant water that's not moving can like be a breeding ground for all sorts of germs and bacteria and can lead to death, whereas like fresh moving water is water that leads to life, Right? And so Jesus does what Jesus does best, and he takes this common sort of understanding about water, 
and adds a whole new level of depth to it. It says, you have something that leads to life, but I have something that leads to eternal life. And if you recall last week, when Jesus uses this phrase, eternal life, he's talking about something like a divine conspiracy of God wanting to live God's life in us and through us. Now, remember the context of all of this. It's happening within this festival of Sukkot, this, this, uh, this remembrance, this embodying of this journey from enslavement to liberation. And I think Jesus is most certainly like trying to piggyback on this imagery here. And it's almost as if when Jesus is standing up and saying to this crowd, he's saying both to those who were listening 2,000 years ago and to us as well, and it's as if what Jesus is doing is offering us living water for our own journeys from enslavement to liberation. Which, of course, is good news, right? <laughs> because if you've ever been on a journey from enslavement to liberation, whether that be like a, a physical enslavement to a physical liberation, or whether it be a metaphorical enslavement to a metaphorical liberation, whether that be like a mental or emotional or relational enslavement to a mental, emotional, relational liberation, you know that that journey from enslavement to liberation is a long, difficult, arduous, and thirst-producing one. And the gift of Jesus, the offer of Jesus is he, it, for us who are on this journey is one of living water. And this living water is more than just a mere product to bring along for the journey. It's more than Jesus just offering us a bottle of Gatorade saying, there's some necessary electrolytes and uh, potassium in there for you. But this is Jesus coming to us and offering us a companion for the journey. Because as John would go on and tell us, this living water is referring to the spirit of God. God's very presence in us, among us, with us, and for us for the journey. Uh, as I think about a, a time in my own life where I found myself feeling in a place of enslavement, where I, I, I just felt really stuck, um, that eventually led to liberation, uh, it was a, a journey that brought me here to you all. Um, the, uh, the liberation side being you all, right? Um, <laughs> it's been a long five years. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, leading up to being here, uh, I, was, I was in school for like five years and I remember just feeling so incredibly, like theologically homeless is the best word for it. Um, I had all of like these convictions, all of these values, all of these like ethics that felt so important to me. But for most people around them, they weren't. <laughs> they were like secondary issues at best and some were even like skeptical that I cared about these things. And I felt so stuck in that place to the point where like, I just assumed that I, I would be in this place the rest of my life, that I would never have a tribe, that I would never have people that I felt totally comfortable being around, that I would always be the outsider looking in, wishing that I had people for that journey. Fast forward five years and I get my hand on a little green booklet that says on the front, a confession of faith from a Mennonite perspective. And I read it and it felt like a cold glass of water <laughs> after walking across the desert all day. And I began to realize, like, I'm not alone in this journey. That there's a whole group of people that, like, think like I do, that have similar convictions and values and ethics about what it means to follow Jesus like I do. And I began to realize, like, I don't have to be enslaved in this place of theological homelessness. Like, there's actually a group of people that I can call my own, and it felt like liberation, and I began to look back over the course of five years and I saw the, the, 
the places where there was living water, (laughs) where the Spirit had been planting these seeds that had led me to this place where I could read this little pamphlet and say, I feel liberated in all of this. And looking back now, five years being here, like this has been a community of liberation for me. A group of people that like I can stay, stand up and like wrestle with the realities of like racial injustice and I, I don't feel like people are looking at me skeptical, wondering like, well, what does that have to do with the gospel of Jesus? Because we understand that's like inherent to the gospel of Jesus, right? And so as, as you begin to think about your own life, where do you feel some place of enslavement? Where do you feel like you're longing for liberation? Where do you feel stuck? Where are you thirsting and longing for living water? Perhaps uh, your story is somewhat similar to mine as as like a a faith journey, but perhaps yours more specifically is that you grew up in a a faith tradition that was perhaps like fear and shame based. Where like you were you were waiting for God to like jump out and surprise you around every corner or, or, or waiting for some sort of like false step so that God could smite you, right? But as you begin to like interact with the words of Jesus and begun to like walk in the way of Jesus, you see a whole nother understanding of the, the way of Jesus being one that is love generating and life giving. And you, you see it, you long for it, and you want to reach out to it, but it feels like this fear and shame-based uh, history of yours is reaching out and just latching on to your ankle. Or perhaps, uh, as you think about the world around us, like your understanding of how things work is one of scarcity. <laughs> and to be honest, like I don't know how you couldn't have a bit of scarcity mindset after the last two years that we've been through. Two years of a pandemic, two years of like crazy, ugly partisan politics, two years of this racial reckoning that we've been seeing. And yet, like, as you interact with the words of Jesus, as you walk in the way of Jesus, as you hear the invitation of Jesus, you see that there's something like this radical abundance. And yet, it feels like this scarcity won't let go of your ankle. Or perhaps to get, like, really practical here, maybe, like, you feel stuck in a place of anger. And I'm not talking like big things like injustice around the world, but I'm talking like everyday things like you go and you open the carton of eggs and like it appears that your wife believes in anarchy because she just takes eggs from wherever instead of systematically working towards the center. Anybody else? Okay, that's a dark reality into my life. But (laughs) you feel this anger like reaching out and grabbing your ankle and you see that like Jesus is offering us something like peace and calmness that like a life that doesn't have to be affected and completely derailed by all of the little things in life. And yet it feels like that anger won't let go. And yet the offer of Jesus is to come to drink and have these rivers of living water bursting from us. To receive this gift of eternal life, of God wanting to live God's life in us and through us. And let me tell you, the life that God wants to live for you is not one of enslavement, but is one of liberation. And so whatever encouragement you need today, know that as you are on this journey of moving from enslavement to, enslavement to liberation, you are not alone. Because the very presence of God, God's spirit, the living water of God is right there with you. And this living water of God, this presence of God, the spirit of God is working to peel back the fingers that are gripping onto your ankle in this place of enslavement so that you can begin to make this journey from enslavement to liberation. And by the way, we all have a role to play in this for one another. More often than not, when Jesus uses this word you in the gospel of John, 
Uh, he uses it in a plural way, not a singular way, drawing from our southern friends with a y'all, right? And the imagery here is that this gift of eternal life is bigger than just me, myself, and I, but includes all of our stories combined. Which means that as we begin to think about each of our individual journeys of enslavement to liberation, I am absolutely convinced that one of the ways that the Spirit shows up in our lives is through the gift of one another. Which means that as I'm on my journey from enslavement to liberation, you have a role of coming in and scooping me up and walking with me, holding me as I stumble from enslavement to liberation. And in the same sort of way as you are on your journey from enslavement to liberation, I have a role to come alongside of you and scoop you up and stumble with you from enslavement to liberation. And the end result being this beautiful community that we call the body of Christ with our arms underneath of each other, stumbling our way forward with God's spirit empowering us from enslavement to liberation. Jesus is offering us living water for our own journeys from enslavement to liberation. And to anyone who thirsts, the invitation is to come and drink and have these rivers of living water bursting out from the depths of who you are. And to this we pray, may it be so. Amen.